Thank you for listening to our church podcast where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. Most of the sermons will be preached by our founding pastor, John Cole. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m. for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. I'm glad that we can worship God together and learn from His Word today. There's a group of scientists and botanists who were exploring remote regions of the Alps, and they were looking for these new species of flowers, and one day they noticed with their binoculars looking down, they saw this beautiful flower of rarity and beauty, and its value to the science was incalculable to them. And they wanted to get near and get this flower that they've never seen before, but it was deep in a ravine with cliffs on both sides, and these were older guys, and they were a little bit afraid to go down there. And lo and behold, there was a young young child, a boy, that was adventurous and looked healthy, and they thought, well, maybe we could get him to go down and, and, and help us get this flower that we're afraid to get. And so they asked him, and they said they'd pay him a, a sizable reward if he would go down and, and grab this flower for them and bring it up so they could do their research about it. And the child looked at them and said, well, uh, can you give me a few minutes? I'll be back. And he did. They said, sure. He left and he ran and he came back holding the hand of a gray-haired man. And he said to them, as long as this man can hold the rope, I'll go down. I'll get the flower. He's my dad. He had a trust in his dad. And for him, he said, I'll go into the danger if necessary as long as my dad is holding the rope. That's a trust in someone that you love, believing that they could protect you. Psalm 91 is all about a psalmist writing about his trust in God's protection, his trust in God's ability to defend and provide for him. Throughout the scriptures, we see God inviting humans into trust and fellowship with him. That's the central theme. Much of the central theme of the scriptures is God coming to us and having a purpose for us to fellowship with him. God making himself available to us. The Psalms are Old Testament Hebrew songs for worship. And so as you read these psalms, we must keep in mind each time as we read them that these are songs that the Hebrews would sing and help them in their worship to God. Worship is part of the fellowship with God. Psalm 91 invites us specifically in a dialogue of trust. And I've titled the message A Dialogue of Trust because it invites us into a dialogue of trust between three people here. And that's what makes it a little bit hard as you read this psalmist. Anyone, when you're reading it, did you get a little bit confused at all? Because you're like, who's talking here? If you tried to understand, it took me a while, frankly. I was reading through it for a while and I was trying to figure out, now I'm trying to understand who's talking and what as I was studying this out. You have three different people here. You have the psalmist that's writing the psalm that God is giving him. And then you have the worshiper or the reader, the singer, the person that would, that would actually use the psalm that he's writing to. And then you have God that actually talks in this psalm as well. And so you've got a dialogue here between the, the, the psalmist writing to the worshiper and even 
writing about God and then God talking about the two people as well. And even God talking in first person saying, I talking about himself in this psalm. And this is a dialogue of trust between the psalmist, the worshiper and God himself. It lets us see the communion, love and trust that you and I ought to seek to have with God. It's kind of just sitting on in. Have you ever been in a room before where there was other people maybe above your pay grade or something and you were just sitting in and you were just listening in and watching their conversations and you were kind of a little bit in awe? Or maybe you were just a fly in a wall of some conversation of people that you thought was interesting and you were at a table with some people and you're listening in. You didn't talk at all. You just sat there and listened and thought, wow, this is pretty neat. That's what we get to do with Psalm 91. We get to use it to sing to the Lord and worship the Lord, but we get to see a conversation. We're not seeing this dialogue take place like, um, as though these are pro, every single one of these verses are promises that we can claim to God. It's more of an expression of a trusting relationship. We know today that Jesus is the fulfillment of the way to God for all who come to him by faith. This passage is not addressing that specifically, but we know today from the scriptures that Jesus came so that way he could be the way, the truth, the life to the Father, and that throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament points to Jesus. We know that. But as you and I follow God in Christ, I want to allow us this opportunity to look at Psalm 91 and just gain insight in how we ought to trust God and Depend on his provisions. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at Psalm 91 and we're going to see how we ought to trust God and depend on God's provisions. So we're going to jump into this and first begin with, again, the person's change on uh, whether or not it's in first person, second person, third person, if you're an English buff, and the people talking change as well. It starts off with the psalmist talking to the worshiper. That's how this starts off. The psalmist writing to the reader, to the worshiper, whoever it would be in general, whether it would be a, a, a he, uh, an, uh, an Israelite, a Hebrew worshiper, or as God used them, and then eventually the church, so that others would come to God. Uh, anyone who would read this, it's writing to us here. And the psalmist, as the, as the psalmist writes the worshiper, he begins in verse 1, and speaking here, he talks about in third person, and he says, he, look at verse 1 with me, he, that's a third person out there, so uh, writing to us, the reader, and saying that person out there, he, whoever it is, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So he begins by saying, whoever dwells in God's secret place, which is talking about his place of defense, close to God, God's presence, if you dwell there, that means to make yourself to sit there. He that makes himself to sit in God's presence, close, that, that comes to God for refuge and protection. The person that does that shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The shadow meaning like if you're under the shelter of the Almighty God and you're under His shadow, you're under His roof, you're under His protection. 
And you say, well, that's pretty obvious, right? You come to God for protection, but not everybody does. Many people go to all kinds of other sources for protection. Even people that would say, if you were to ask, who would you go to or what would you go to first in a time of need? And you would raise your hand and say, God, even those people, me and you, sometimes when time of need comes up, God is not the first one we run to. We pragmatically run to whatever we think would be best for us and sometimes go right past God instead of first going to God saying, God, I need you. We like to try to fix our own life problems. We like to try to control and 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 make measure and make things the way we want them to be. And we need to be diligent about our life and and work to do what God has to to steward what God has given to us. But we must do it trusting in him. No matter how hard we work, we must say, God, I need your shelter. I need your help. I want your protection. So the psalmist begins by saying in verse 1 that that person that dwells in God's secret place shall abide in his shadow. And so if you're following in the notes that we uh, gave that I prepared for you today, the first point under that is, is these points, by the way, are not points as though you could take them as promises to go to God, because some of these are very specific. This is simply helping you follow the dialogue of the text. Okay? So the first uh, point of conversation that is said is, he that dwells in God's presence will abide in God's protection. He that dwells in God's presence will abide in God's what? Protection. Go to God's presence to seek God's protection. Verse 2, we see now he goes to first person. So first he said, he that dwells in God's presence. Now he talks about himself and he says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him will I trust. So now he makes a declaration about himself uh, and God, and he says, I-, I will say of God, he's my refuge, he's my fortress, I run to him, I need him, I will trust in him. And so verse 2, we see this statement, I will trust in God to be my fortress. I will trust in God to be my fortress. And you know what, I should have thought of that before. If anyone needs a pen to write down, raise your hand, and Johnny will bring one for you if you wanted one. I will trust in God to be my fortress. Now we'll go on and we're going to see the dialogue change a little bit here. And it's all going to be about this statement that I'll share here. He says, this is verses three, all the way through verse 13. In summary, verses three through 13 is saying this, because you, the reader, the worshiper, because you, mean you, because you have chosen the Lord, God will deliver you. Because you have chosen the Lord, God will deliver you. And that's important. Because you see there's only one condition here of God delivering and helping. There's several thoughts we learned from this. First of all, is that the only condition is that you chose the Lord. God gave you the truth of who He is. And you chose to respond and believe on Him then God delivers. You see, we don't deliver ourselves. Now, there's many things in life that we have to work hard at do depending on God. 
But especially when it comes to all of life, our sinful nature, our sinful problem, our being right with God, and then with things that get out of our control of life, which that happens. He's saying if you'll choose God and trust in God, God will deliver, God will help, is what he's talking about here in this conversation. Now, again, that doesn't mean that because you chose God, God won't let you go through any problems. It's not what it's saying. This is not a promise again. This is a dialogue. This is them talking back and forth here, or talking about one another, I should say. So because you have chosen the Lord, God will deliver you. So you see this condition, the only condition is not something that you do uh, where you merit God's deliverance. God has chosen that when you choose him, he delivers. He doesn't have to do that. He chose to do that. He's good. Psalm 91 and verse 3, we begin here, and it reads, Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler or hunter. A snare is one of those traps. You trap someone into the trap of the hunter and from the noisome pestilence or disease. This is talent. This is saying God will deliver you from the hunter and disease. God will deliver you from the hunter and disease. How many times in our life we can get so wrapped up if we have someone that is treating us wrong? Someone that would be maybe considered an enemy. Someone that is hurtful. This is telling us that we need to, we need to trust God. That God can deliver from that. You and I can really hurt ourselves if we just allow our heart, our soul, our mind to get consumed with the hunter. With a person that is doing wrong to us. And many in the room here today might say, I don't have anyone doing that. You know, pretty people are, uh, I don't have any enemies. But you know, that time, your life won't always be that way. And I'm sure many of the people in the room today would say, yeah, I've had that before. I've had someone that just had it out for me. Well, it's helpful to be able to give it to God and and trust that God can deliver me and for me to not feel like I have to control and fix all of those things. Because people are strange things. They're dynamic They've got so many, you know, you, you and I think when someone's doing something to us that we know the, the, the full picture of why they're doing what they're doing. Well, we don't really know all that's going on in their world and their life too. God does. And so trusting God to deliver me from people that do wrong to me. And that's what this psalmist is saying as he's writing. He's saying, God will deliver you. He's talking to the reader, talking to the worshiper, and say, God will deliver you from the hunter disease. Again, that doesn't mean every single time that, that this isn't a, a promise here to a specific person uh, saying that, you know, okay, God, deliver me from this specific thing, and if I don't get that, then this must not be true. This is giving us a principle here that we need to depend on and trust in God to deliver. Then we see in verse 4 about God, He, God, shall cover thee with His feathers, and under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. So here this is a beautiful picture of of God being like a, a mother hen or bird that would bring its little chicklings underneath of Him and and put His wings about them and protect them close so that way no predator could get them. 
The beginning of verse 4 really shows that God will cover you with his protection. And so you can look at this and say, God, would you cover me? Cover me with your protection. Hey, this is applicable for you to, in your prayers, go to God and say, God, cover my children with their, with your protection. Cover me with your protection. That, that's what this is helping us see is that we could go to God and ask him for these same things because this, these are the things that God does. God cover us with your protection. And the second part of that verse says that you, you will, the, the, the reader, the worshiper will trust God in his protection. In other words, when God is covering you with his protection, you will, when you're under his protection, trust that his protection is good. When you are experiencing God's protection in your life, it actually builds your trust. And then the third part of that verse is saying God's truth or trustworthiness, God's truth or his trustworthiness will be your defense. In other words, it's like, have you ever uh, tried to use a tool and it broke on you? I'll give you an illustration. Our our family recently, we are playing um, Nerf Nerf gun wars outside our backyard and we were playing capture the flag and we all had our Nerf guns and, and I had one and, um, I, I had, you know, I, I, I want to win, you know, I know they're kids, but dad's got to win. So I've got my strategy here and I send charity. I had charity and David on my team and I sent charity down to be the person that they would all, you know, first go after. And then I would come behind uh, and I would come behind and I would, and I would take and capture the flag and we would win. And so I did that, but the problem is I went and I had my gun and I was shooting at, uh, I don't know if it was Johnny or Martha, and I was shooting my, my, my gun and I had one of these flawed uh, bullets that when you shoot, it would just go and it, it, it didn't even leave the barrel. Yeah, that's my excuse. It, it didn't even leave the barrel and I'm like... I'm like, oh no, we had some bad ones. Johnny probably planted a dud in me. And it didn't work. It wasn't trustworthy. It didn't defend me. And you know what? I got shot. I got out. And God is saying here that that his truth, he is trustworthy enough that he will defend. He won't be a broken or a bad failing bullet. He won't be a, a wimpy shield that when it gets hit, it just breaks right through. But rather, God can be trusted. So his truth or integrity, kind of like, um, I think Kathy does this in the mill, right? She ch- checks the trustworthiness of the metal chemicals, right? To make sure that the metal is uh, has the proper amount of elasticity and the proper amount of hardness. So that way, if, 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 if they use it for planes or they use it for beams, it doesn't lack integrity, right? God is saying here that we can trust he has truth in his defense, integrity, trustworthiness. Then we go to the next several verses, verses 5 through 8. And I want to read these and then just point out some things. And this is... This uh, points out pretty much just one main truth here. Verses 5 through 8, it says, Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, 
and 10,000 at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. See, what is that talking about? We're talking about several things here. The main statement is you will not be afraid while in God's defense. That's the main statement about this that is being said about God is saying that thou shalt not be afraid and then it lists a bunch of things that you're not going to need to be afraid of while in God's defense you will not be afraid when you know that you're protected by God there's a beautiful thing about knowing you're in the will of God and that you are in his presence and you know you and God are right with each other there's just a beautiful thing about knowing you're right with God and you're in his presence and trusting that he is protecting you many people have gone even into dangerous elements trusting God knowing they're right with God and okay with what God does with them Whereas there might be some others that would be plagued with guilt and shame and not believing they are right with God. And that's a scary place to go into elements of danger when you believe that you and God, you're not worshiping him. You're not right with him. You've not confessed openly your sins to him and prayed and and walked with him and and depended upon him in his defense. And rather you walk in, in life as the Bible talks about, without faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. And to, to, to walk in life with constant doubting between you and God can be difficult. But he's saying that when you know you're in God's defense, when you know you're right and close to God, you'll not be afraid. And notice he goes on to describe these different terrors that happen, terrors at night. Or arrows flying. So that's talking about attacks in verse 5. You not be afraid when arrows and attacks start coming. Or pestilence, destruction, and God's judgment. The next, the rest of it all talks about pestilence or disease that happens. Or destruction, natural disasters. All of it talking about even potentially God's judgment. If you're here in God's defense and God is protecting, he's saying you don't have to be afraid when God judges, when God protects you. His his protection is not going to hit you, is what he's saying. And so you'll notice here in verse 8, he says, Only with thine eyes thou shalt behold and see the reward of the wicked. The reward is talking about the reward the wicked have earned. That's God's judgment. So that means you you have you you will see God's judgment on those that are that he is defending you with in life, but you only see it. You're not going to experience it. You're not going to get hit by it, is what he's saying. So you will not be afraid while in God's presence. The psalmist is writing. And then we go on and we see in verses 10 through 13, this statement here. And this is interesting as you get into this one. Uh, let me read the scriptures and then I'll give the statement here. So Psalm 91 verses 10 through 13. It says, There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Why? Verse 11, for he shall give his angels charge over thee. And that, that means that he will appoint like a general appointing a soldier to protect you. He will appoint his angels charge, not meaning oversight over you, but literally to give you protection, watch, guard, and to lift you up. So he says he, he will give his angels charge, protection, watch, over you to keep thee in all thy ways to guard you they shall bear thee up lift you up to a safe place lest thou dash thy foot against a stone 
Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, which is, which is a, um, a viper or snake, the young lion and the dragon, which also you're having lion and, and snake, and then again lion and dragon or snake. Uh, that's used interchangeably uh, with uh, even when talking about Satan. He's called a dragon. He's called a snake. He's called a serpent. And it says, The dragon thou shalt trample under feet. So what are these verses saying here in this dialogue of trust between the psalmist and God? It's saying no evil, no evil will happen to you because God will assign angels to watch over, guard, and lift you. Now, I think this is interesting, and it's helpful to you and I. Sometimes we don't consider this or think about this, but there really are angels. There are ministers of God for things that God would have us do. We are not to worship angels. We, we are not to try to even pray to angels. We are to look to God, and God assigns angels. And it really does happen, the Bible tells us. The Bible gives examples of it, of people in war, that God, who was very afraid, and then God go ahead, went ahead and let him open his eyes and saw, whoa, God has all these angels here to help me. There is, uh, there's a lot of things we, that are microscopic that we, we don't see. Can we all agree that, to that? There's lights. That, uh, uh, colors that we can't see. There's light that we can't see. We don't see sound, but we hear it. Where does it all come from? Internet uh, connection between our phones we don't see. And there's also angels we don't see. Once in a while, the Bible talks about God making it so that way someone could see an angel in the likeness of a person. Um, but, but for the most part, we, you, you don't see them. They're not to be worshipped. They're not to be prayed to. But they are signed by God to protect. And it's fitting for you and I to say, God, I remember my parents used to pray this often when we pray together. God, keep your angels round about protecting us. Keep us safe on the road. Keep us safe in our home. Send your, your, spirit, your, your, your angels to minister to help us. Because, uh, you know, I'm fragile. I need your protection. I all want it. And we, we see the psalmist writing about that. I think that's pretty neat that we could ask God to assign angels to help. I don't believe he assigns a guardian angel, like one specific angel to a person or anything like I don't think so. Uh, but it's fitting to say, God, please uh, uh, send an angel to protect, watch over my children when send them off to school and when I go to work, when my wife goes and drives, and just watch over and protect us, Lord. God works through people, and he works through angels. And so it's an appropriate thing to ask God for. And so again, this is not a promise that no evil will ever happen to any of us. This is again a dialogue, just talking to another person. We're sitting in and just listening, a reassurance saying, trust God. God will protect. Hey, he'll even send angels to protect you. Now, I do want to point this out, and, and, and we ought to make note that trusting in God does not justify foolishly tempting him. Trusting God in God does not justify foolishly tempting him. This same exact passage of Scripture that we're talking about was quoted by none other than Satan in the Gospels when Jesus was fasting and praying in the wilderness. So I'd like you to see those verses and see how Satan twisted and manipulated Scripture to try to use it to get Jesus to tempt God the Father. So Matthew chapter 4 and verse 6 through 7 this is Satan speaking to Jesus and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, first of all, notice that, 
every time Satan was trying to tempt Jesus, what was he trying to tempt Jesus about in, in, in uh, this account in the Gospels here? Whether or not he was the son of God. He was saying, if you're really who you are, and, and Satan constantly wants to attack you and make you question, are you really loved by God? Are you really saved by God? Are you really God's child? Does God really listen to you when you pray? Does he really care about your life? He wants you to have those questions in your heart and in your mind ringing to the point to where you say, I don't know, I quit. Why don't you prove to me that God is caring about you? And that's what Satan was doing with Jesus, God the Son. He was saying, if you really are the Son of God, this is what he tells him to do. Cast thyself down. They were up on top of a pinnacle of a building, corner top of a building, looking down. And he says, if you're really the Son of God, cast yourself down, for it is written. Where was it written? Psalm what? 91. He quotes and says, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now, I don't believe Satan was trying to say that Psalm 91 was specifically written about Jesus. I don't think it's a messianic psalm like we've talked about with some of the psalms where it's pointing to Jesus. I think he was just simply trying to say, hey, if you're really son of God, you, you read there in Psalm 91 is written, if you'll cast yourself down and jump off this building, God's going to swoop down and send angels down. They're going to lift you up once you prove it. Let all of the other people around see God do this for you. How does Jesus respond? He responds, number one, with the word of God. That's the only proper way to respond to temptation. When temptation comes to your heart and mind is the word of God. That's why learning it, memorizing it helps so much. So verse 7, Jesus said unto him, it is written. Hey, if God the Son, Jesus, used Bible in defense when he had temptation from Satan, shouldn't we? We like to philosophize. We like to give our own opinions. But if God the Son would use Bible, I ought to use Bible too. That, that's why it's important to learn it. So he says, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. A lot of people try to pervert, twist Scripture, and that's what Satan was doing here. And Jesus was correcting him, saying, you're using that out of context. That, that Scripture is not there to say that I can try to make God uh, prove he will do what he's doing by doing something foolish, like jumping off of a temple and tempting God, testing God to see if he'll do it. Uh-uh. And, you know, I think all of us would say, I wouldn't do anything like that anyways. I wouldn't do something so dumb as to jump off of a, a roof and, and try to see, is God going to do what he said? But there are situations in our life where we may foolishly try to say, well, I'm going to do this and see what God does. I'm going to put myself in this situation and I'm going to see what God does and tempt God, test him. And this passage, back to Psalm 91, it's not telling us to do that. It's not saying to put yourself in a situation to say, okay, let me see what God does here. But it is telling us that we can depend on God that he will protect us and guard us. Now the last part of this chapter, as we went through, the first part was the psalmist writing to the reader. Now it's God 
writing about himself and the worshiper. So it completely changes here. It's, it's not the psalmist talking now. It's God talking, and he's talking here in first person. So let's see what God says now. It's very interesting. You, you see the psalmist writer writing, and now you see God writing. What does he say about himself and the worshiper? Well, first of all, these verses 14 through 16 is talking of God saying, because the worshiper trusts, I, God, will provide. That's, that's what these several verses are talking about. Because the worshiper trusts, I, God, will provide. Again, showing this condition that God has chosen. God is not controlled by our decisions or our faith. God has sovereignly chose to give us the opportunity to respond in faith or to reject him. And we all have that ability to reject or to believe by faith. He's given his word. He's given preachers of the gospel, not necessarily pastors, but anyone that proclaims God's word. He's given his Holy Spirit to convict, and he's given the full payment of salvation on the cross, Jesus Christ. Regarding our eternal relationship with God, we can reject or we can trust. Regarding God in general, which is what this is talking about in Psalm 91, we can trust God or or we can choose to reject God and depend on something else. And he says, because the worshiper chooses to trust, I will provide. What he's saying is they can't provide for themselves. There's many things that we need God's help on. And specifically, when we've talked about salvation, knowing that when we die, you go to heaven, that's something that we cannot earn. We have no merit about it. God chose to provide the way, and he chose to provide the means of faith that we simply can choose to respond in faith to Christ or to reject. And he has provided salvation for all who would believe. But in God in general, it's saying, because of the worshiper trust, I, God, will provide. So let's look at verse 14 here. We just have three verses that will bring it to a conclusion. But verse 14 says, because he has set his love upon me. Because, again, God's talking here, okay? So because, God's saying, because he, the worshiper, whoever it is, that, that in general, just people out there, because that person hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. Did the person deliver themselves? No. Did the person set their love upon God? Yes. Did God respond with deliverance? Yes. Then he goes on to say, I will set him on high. I will lift him up in safety because why? He hath known my name. He knows who I am. He trusts me. So there's two parts to this. The first statement here is he's saying, he desired and loved me. He desired and loved me. When he's talking about he set his love upon me, that means he desired to love me. He chose, he set his love upon me. He desired me. Therefore, I, God, will deliver him. And then the second part, God says, I, God, will lift him to safety because he knows my God, my name. He knows me. He knows who I am. And he trusts me. He he desires me. Then we see in verse 15, He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Here he's saying, he, the worshiper, the the person out there, he called on me, and I, God, will answer him. God responds when we call. 
He's chosen to. He doesn't have to. He's chosen to respond when we call. And notice what he says in here. Three things that he would do when, when he responds. He says, I will be with him in trouble. God, I need you. He says, I, I will be with him in trouble. He says, I will deliver him and I will honor him. I will value him. I will, I, I will give him worth. I will honor him. And then verse 16, we see the last verse of this passage. He says, God says, with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. With long life. And that many would believe that that with long life is referring to a prolonged life, even to the extent of eternal life. It may or may not. It may just be talking about fullness of life uh, here on this earth. But many would believe I would lean towards is talking about eternal life, a reference to that. Will I satisfy him and show him my salvation? That salvation is not specifically talking about being saved from your sins, but in general, God helping us. So here we see God saying, I will prolong his life and cause him to see salvation. I'll cause him to see it. You know, when you, when, when, when you need it, don't you want to see salvation? See or experience God's salvation, God's help? Well, there's not anything that we do to earn God's salvation. We simply, by faith, choose Him. He does the rest. And He's chosen to invite us to believe on Him. Let me give you the statement, God is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of our trust. And he has chosen to provide for those who trust in him. Hey, back to that illustration I gave when we were playing capture the flag with our Nerf guns. That bullet I had, that gun I had, was not worthy of my trust. It failed me. But God will never fail. If I am with him and I choose him... God is worthy of my trust, and he has chosen to provide for those who trust in him. God has chosen to provide for those who trust in him. God delivers, protects, answers, honors, prolongs, and saves those who trust, love, know, and call on him. Don't miss out on trusting fellowship with God. It's an amazing thing to have. Trusting fellowship with God. God wants fellowship with us. He wants relationship with us. I'll show you just, maybe I'll do two or three of these verses. I'll go very quickly and just show them to you. I want you to see some other Bible passages that just simply show that God wants to dwell with his followers. Psalm 145, verse 18 through 19. It says, the Lord is nigh or close unto all them that what? Call upon him. To all that what? Call upon him in truth, in sincerity. Not talking about religion or fake or just, you know, I'm doing it because people are watching, but I truly believe on and call upon need to God. Verse 19. He will fulfill the desire of him that fear him, of them that fear him. So God will fulfill the desire of those that trust and fear God, that depend on God. He also will hear their cry and will save them. 
So when we fear God, when we call on Him, when we trust on Him, when we cry out to Him, God saves, He responds. He's a loving God, like a father or even a mother who would respond to the trusting cry of their children to say, help me! Or as the opening illustration of that child that said, hey, Dad, I got this cool opportunity. Can you come help me? And he comes along and he helps them and holds the rope so he can jump down and he can grab that beautiful, strange flower and bring it up and get that reward. He trusts. And the father responds. Matthew 18, verse 20, tells us, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Jesus is writing here, so the first one you see the Lord writing, uh, talking about wanting to be close to those who call on Him. Matthew 18 is showing us where two or three are gathered in God's name like we are right here. Where we're gathered together in His name, He says, I'm in the midst of them. He's saying when we gather together in Christ's name, you say there's not a lot going on. You know, is it really that special? We're, we're gathering together as a church. God says that He's in the midst of us. When we gather together in His name. He wants to dwell with us. And lastly, just skip there to 1 Corinthians 3.16, just the two, two slides down. It says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? This is just, in, in, it, it's, it's addressing a bigger context, but he's just saying, hey, don't you realize that the Spirit of God dwells inside of you? You see God, the Lord, wanting to dwell with His people when they call on Him. You see Jesus saying, I am in the midst of you when you gather in my name. You see the, the, the teaching that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you as a believer if you trust God as your Savior. Over and over again in the Bible, the Bible affirms over and over again that God wants to have loving fellowship with you and with me. And he offers that if we simply respond in faith. He's given everyone a measure of faith. And if we will respond in faith to Christ, God has chosen to provide for those who trust him. We see God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit making his presence available. He invites us to dwell with him and him with us. Conclude with stating that Psalm 91 let it encourage you to have trusting fellowship with God. There's six simple actions you can take from this passage that I'll put on the screen, and you can look at those. Six simple actions you can take from this as you trust God. The first one is choose God. Choose God. How many things do we choose in our life and options do we have? How often do we leave God out? who made us and designed us for a relationship with Him. Secondly, trust God. Trust God. You see all of these in this psalm. Trust God. Thirdly, dwell with God. Sit with Him. Be in His presence. Take time out. Just you and Him. You, you and I cannot be all God wants us to be if we don't take some time to set uh, away from everything else and even people that we love and just sit with God and talk with Him. Four, love God. Love God. He talked about delivering for those who love Him. Five, know God. Learn to know God. Know His Word. Know Him through prayer. Know God. And then six, 
Call on God. Call on Him. Ask Him. Invite Him into your life. Ask Him for help. Call on Him for salvation if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. If you know Him as your Savior, call on Him for faithful living. God, help me to live faithful with you. If you need help, call on Him and say, God, help me. I need your help today. God wants you and I to have trusting, loving fellowship with him. And Psalm 91 lets us kind of just sit in a room while, while the psalmist, the worshiper, and God are talking about this wonderful opportunity that you and I should pass up, trusting fellowship with him. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.